Welcome to another episode of Storyteller Studio, where we're gathering our lives through genuine conversations and gladly sharing them with folks around the world. As radio announcers, Liz and Tim believe there's something very special about being behind a microphone and letting their hair down. Sometimes people just need a reason to enjoy each other, either again or for the very first time. And we found plenty of others who feel the same. From artists, sports figures, and manufacturers, to filmmakers, authors, and media types, we all may know bits and pieces about a person, but there's always something more. So while we grab our headphones and turn up the mics, it's your chance to eavesdrop on yet another episode of Storyteller's Studio. Good morning and welcome back to Storyteller Studio. We are back at the Edgebrook Shopping Center studio and I have a fellow in studio today that, you know, I wasn't really sure if I should approach him. <laughs> isn't that a weird way to start things? <laughs> but isn't that true, Brett? Yeah. Yeah, because you were yeah. working. So his name is Brett Whitaker. I, at that time, only knew him because of what I saw him do. But boy, after I talked to him for maybe 10 minutes, I learned a lot of different things. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tim. There's been quite a journey to get to this point or to reinvent into a muralist. That's what you consider yourself is a muralist as opposed to an artist? I'm saying muralist now. I definitely am an artist, but okay. to do murals is a little more of construction or I feel like, you know, I'm a contractor in sort of ways. You have to own a lot of equipment and yeah, do you, a lot of traveling. Yeah, you do. So let's back up to the time where I met you. You were doing what I call the Love's Park Puppy Mural, <laughs> and I only say that because it actually does say Love's Park if you step back far enough. It's uh, just on North 2nd Street, uh, just north of the Potato Shack. But when you were done, you, you drew this little bitty cute little white puppy in the bottom looking up at the mural. So that's where I get the title of it. Is there an actual title of it? Um, no, there is not an actual title. Well, they could steal that from me anytime they want to. The puppy mural. Yeah. And, and that was just um, a little favor I did for the owner of the building, you know, oh. to put his dog in the mural. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Wow. Now, this is part of a sort of herding of the cats <clears throat> for the Rockford Area Visitors Bureau. Didn't they organize all the murals? Yeah, they did. They were pairing artists with... Uh, walls with uh, building owners, you know. Very nice. Were willing to use uh, their building as a canvas. And I think when I met you, you were one of 13 that were added on to some of the murals that were already done. Did you do something in the initial phase of the murals too, like down at the Metro Center, you know, downtown in that area? Were you one of those people? Are you talking about like a smaller wall or like previous years? Previous years. In 2019, I did a mural uh, at the color of Mulberry and Church. I was kind of uh, shoehorned in to the festival. <laughs> okay. I wasn't a part of the artists who applied for this festival. I didn't know about it. I didn't live here yet. Oh. I still lived in Sycamore. Oh. But rather, I was talking to Jennifer Carrada, who is the Sinisippi Audubon Society, okay. and she had hired me to do a bird mural. On so, a separate project? Yeah. Okay. But then uh, Rockford Creative, the Visitor's Bureau, caught wind of me doing a mural at about the same time. And they said, 
well, why don't you just be a part of this festival? Wow. Because we're doing um, little events at each uh, mural site, and we could uh, make a stop by you as well. Do you see things snowball for you? Is that is that sort of what it is as opposed to you got to apply for a job and then you apply for the next, next job? Whoever sees you has a connection to the next stone that you step on? Yeah, often um, you're doing something publicly. You're doing something out there, and a lot of people see you, a lot of other building owners or business owners, and they would like to have a mural as well. And you, you can meet them right there on the spot and – they see, you know, if you're they're doing good work and they see the outcome, then they're going to want to snag you for something. Yeah. Yeah. How often do they give you free reign? Uh, 30% of the time. Really? <laughs> so they may give you a concept, but then you can take the concept from there. Yeah. Okay. If, so, they, if they see my uh, past work and uh, just the amount of it at this point that I've done, they uh, more and more I'm being trusted with. Working my rendition of their idea. You know, when Sandy hires you here for the Christmas season for the Edgebrook Shopping Center, you're painting empty storefront windows, which there are fewer and fewer of those empty storefronts. Thank goodness. Thank you goodness. Know, re- retail has, has got to swing back, at least here at this mall. She sort of gives you a little bit of free reign, and yep. it's it's always really not art, not necessarily just artistically cool, it's pleasing to walk by. You know, there may be something that somebody creates and you go, wow, that took a lot of work, but I don't care for it. You know, that type of thing. You've, you've run into that before. Yeah. But this is just, it puts you in a good mood. Is that sort of what you're trying to work for during the Christmas season down the shopping? Put them in the buying mode? Yeah, just create a flow that doesn't distract and that's pleasing to be around. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to come back and clean it up, which is an odd situation based on your regular work. Well, yeah, your wife is smart like that, you know, like thinking down the line, well, how do we get rid of this? Well, <laughs> let me just pay the artist to put it up and take it down. How long does it usually take you when you're doing, I don't know, let's say a 12 foot by 80 foot wall? And I don't know what your average is, but... How long of a, a project average size <laughs> is it? How long of a project is that? It, it really depends on what I'm painting that time. But going back to the Loves Park puppy mural that you're talking about, mm-hmm. that's a typical kind of piece that I do, trying to put in as many colors as I can, keeping the design kind of simple but making it uh, busy with color. Yeah, I can finish that within a week, oh, man. usually even using close to a hundred colors. But I tend to have, you know, I plan well. Mm-hmm. Every day I have a checklist. Yeah. So I don't have to think on the spot, oh, maybe I'll do that or maybe I'll do this. I already have it. I just go down the line. And isn't that where the sort of the construction worker in you comes out? Because you don't want to stand there and go, oh, crap, I got to go run and get this. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I tend to bring way too much with me. Mm-hmm. You know, the van is full of way too, too many <laughs> paints um but that's fine because i do not want to have an issue where i have to go to schomburg to buy my specialty paints or order something up from sherman williams i know i've already got it with me and it's sitting in a box in in order Mm -hmm. those paints are ready to go so once one section's done i go put those away and grab the next section i've already you know the night before i usually stay up very late just putting things in order wow good for you very systematic 
I, yeah, and, and I've had to become that way because of the colorblindness as well. And that's another revealing thing from our conversation. Yeah. Uh, again, I walk up to him, and I know he's doing his job. There are lots of times where I don't want people interrupting my job. But yet, you, you want to learn more, and you want to compliment you on what you're doing. So I was trying to sort of give you everything in this salad bowl that I possibly could. And then all of a sudden, I looked down, and it, again, it is this very systematic of spray paint cans, and I'm asking all these questions, and you said, well, you know, it's sort of the way I have to do it because of the colorblindness. And then that opened up a whole different can of worms because why aren't you an accountant or an insurance agent if you're colorblind? Why are you doing murals? And what's the answer to that? I love color so much, and I'm going to have to deal with that. So you just you just find a way. Yeah, I just find a way. Wow. I probably have said it before. I don't see it too much as a hindrance. It does make things go slowly if I'm not organized. Okay. Because I have, if I have to search for the color every time I turn around to look for a new can, yeah, um, that can be time-consuming. So that's why I put things in order. Do you ever find yourself backing up and going, ooh, I, I, mis I misjudged that part right there, and I should retape that and redo that piece again. Do you ever find that? Not as often as you might think. Okay. Um, I've been using this line of paints for almost 20 years, and I, I know what uh, family of colors looks good next to, next to what. Yeah. Do you ever use something like a PMS chart? We use the Pantone matching system in what we did with uh, with getting special shades of color, does that exist in your world when you say special paints from Schaumburg? <laughs> I, I have their list or their uh, product detail sheet, that, which has all of their colors in color families right in a row from lightest to darkest blue, oh, lightest to darkest green. Very good, yeah. So I just refer to that, and that's a PDF I can pull up on my computer and reference anytime. Yeah. So let me ask you this. When did the color blindness hit you? It was discovered in kindergarten. Oh, so a long time ago. By a teacher, yeah. Yeah. Just a basic color test. Wow. He called my mom in and, oh, yeah, he's getting his red and greens wrong mm -hmm. or a, a few colors wrong on just a simple, simple color test. So uh, we have the pediatrician give a color blind test wow. next time. And sure enough, yeah. So here's where this stop along the street escalated into places that we would never guess, ever. I went back home and I told my son, who is a videographer for TV23, you might want to present this to your news director. It's an interesting story. Now forget about the colorblindness. It's just interesting to see how this guy gets from point A to point B, different than other mural artists will get from point A to point B. Obviously, everybody's got their little thing, their little differences. Mm -hmm. This guy is just really an interesting story. And it's outside, and it's current, and it's beautiful weather. I said, you might want to tell the news director, because they're always asking for news uh, pitches of some sort. Yeah. So he ends up telling his buddy, Ethan Ruzik, who's yeah. the meteorologist, why don't you come along with me? Well, of course, you know, they do the noon thing. It's weather. Hey, it's sunshine. Look who's taking advantage of it. All of these 13 murals that are being uh, done in the area. And you guys take the conversation to a whole different level with Ethan, and you take the story from there. Ethan is also colorblind, we found out. 
Oh my! Yeah, so he had a special interest in in my story in particular. Uh, and then we did a special segment called Comeback Kid, I believe, about professionals or people who were raised here, leaving and becoming something and then coming back to the state line here. Nice twist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to the TV station and he does some research and finds this manufacturer in the state of New York that makes colorblind helping glasses. I don't know exactly how you would categorize those. He jumps on the phone and said, I work at a TV station. We have a mural artist here. He's working on a project right now. If you send me a pair of glasses, we will publicize your company and it may help some other people. And he goes, I will get these in Federal Express today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And off they went. Yeah. And so he and Eric grabbed their equipment and came back out to you. And what happened? So I was given a pair of these glasses called Enchroma for free, and they're $400 glasses. The only stipulation was I had to wait to put them on until I was in front of news cameras and in front of my mural, mm-hmm. which happened to feature 111 colors. Wow. So it was a really good spot, really good opportunity to feature this product. Yeah, pretty good test. Yeah. And you had never stumbled across anything like this since you were five years old. I had stumbled across those glasses, actually. You did? Yeah, and I had bought them once before. Oh, my. But I believe I bought the wrong type. The ones that I have now are shades. They're like for outdoors. Oh. I wasn't a muralist yet, and I did a majority of my work indoors in a paint studio. And I bought these clear blue lens version that was made for like computer screens or lighter situations because I'm not going to wear shades, outdoor shades in my studio. Those did not work for me. And how many years ago was that? Maybe five years prior. Okay. All right. Just curious. And then I thought the company was a sham. Oh, no. And when they reached out to me again, I did not mention that. But I'm like, hey, worth a shot. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) This is where the story's coming out. (laughs) I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. I get it. But it's, it's sort of square peg round hole, and you didn't know, and they didn't know what the application was. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, I did call the company back and explain that it wasn't working for me. Mm. And uh, I sent them back, and they gave me my money back. But I wish they would have suggested at that point maybe try these other ones. Or when they reached out last year, they had uh, more tests for me okay. to find out exactly what colorblindness type I was. Oh, and what we found out that it was a big test, like fifty different tests, rather than like one, two, three, four, five of these circle tests. Yeah, find the number in the circle. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've typically seen. This was way more involved, and the I wish I could tell you the type of colorblindness I am. <laughs> it's two big words. They're literally fifty dollar words, I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah, and they they said, "Oh, this is interesting because the type you actually are is only." Two percent of the colorblind people in the world are this type. Oh, well, no wonder. Oh so, my! So it was tough to. They they weren't working so much on pinpointing back then. Maybe this is something new they do. Yeah, well, so, you can imagine where the technology goes in five years. Sure. I mean, everybody ramps up. Did they have a um, a pair of glasses that fit you being the two percent, or did they tweak something they already had, or how did they do that? I what I understand is they. They tweak them and put the correct lenses in for wow. me. Wow. Yeah. 
that's amazing that they can do that. Yeah. Maybe ramp up this much of the red that they're going to accentuate or whatever. Because mm-hmm. that's what I understand it is. With my red and green deficiency, they have made, intensified the red, so there's no mistake. I'm not going to mistake it for a green anymore when I see a red or an orange or a purple <clears throat> because that's been accentuated so much to pull out of that green realm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. So now that you've got these <clears throat> two tools, you've got the the color formulas that you use for your paints that you've done forever, mm-hmm. and now you've got these glasses, how do you blend the two, for lack of a better term, either during the process or at the end of your process? Uh, since these things are not a 12-hour thing, they're a seven-day thing. How do you right. How do you work that? It's more so in the creation of it when I'm designing the mural and deciding on colors before I start it, I will use the glasses to look at colors, to look at my design on the computer or whatever, to help me make color decisions Okay. beforehand. Okay, so it's sort of like your initial storyboard. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, and my, my early mock-ups are very basic, too. They're not high-detailed. It's just like in the one that you saw in Love's Park, there's like 100 and something colors, but I'd say okay, this color field's going to be behind these letters and this color field here, and it's just kind of blocks. I'm not doing all the, drawing all the sections on my computer. But right, right. To say but, work within this. But, you know, tying back to the Ethan thing, wasn't he, uh, the apartment that he lives in, wasn't that your next project? The one that went up to the rooftop thing? Remember that downtown? That is, I had already done it, I guess, and he you met had? me. Oh, my. So I think when I met your son... Uh-huh. And he talked to Ethan, and he's like, oh, I know this guy. Aww. I think there was already a pre-connection. Wow, very so nice. So Burnham Lofts is where I ran into Ethan, and he said he worked at the station. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rockford's a small town, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and Ethan now is back in television okay. and is working in Indianapolis. That's right, yeah, and, you told me that. And I don't know if I told you, my son <clears throat> is working at a TV station in Denver. Really? And yes, he's at KDVR in Denver. Uh, he moved out there in April, and they gave him such a good send-off. I mean, they give most people just a fantastic send-off. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool that they keep those connections, sort of like we do here in the radio world, because it is a very tight community, as I'm sure the mural artists are too, because you bump into people on you know projects down the road. Yep. And I told Eric, I said, do not be surprised that if you are working with somebody, whether it be Kaylee or Ethan or whoever maybe three, four years down the line in Milwaukee or Madison. Don't be surprised because it could certainly happen. Yep. And they've seen a little tidbit of that already where people just sort of move around. And I think it's exciting where you're not just leaving that person never to see them again. I think it's got some really exciting potentials, especially when you're 24, 25 years old. So, and going back to the Ethan uh, apartment thing, this was a, as I understand, this was a hallway that was going from most of the apartments up to the rooftop where they had grills and, you know, uh, uh, couches and stuff like that. Somebody said, maybe it was you when I talked to you here at the Christmas thing, that it was just a gray hallway. And the owner said, have at it, knock yourself out, do what you want. Yeah, exactly. They they trusted me to bedazzle their hallway. <laughs> this was just <laughs> an unfinished area. You know, they, they had to finish the apartment levels. This was just getting off the elevator and going down a short hallway and up a little ramp to the beautiful outdoor patio on the rooftop. Mm -hmm. And they kind of let that go. But then 
once the building was more established, they said, let's, let's finish this and let's do something fun up there, kind of a treat to the uh, tenants. So what was your definition of bedazzle? <laughs> <laughs> well, they had just seen me do uh, something very similar in a salon in the suburbs where I was using some Roy Lichtenstein-esque faces, some comic book, oh. uh, female, male kind of interaction, little um, talk bubbles, you know, yeah, these fun little kind of flowing scenes. Yeah. And they really liked that. And they were able to say to me, since they knew me already, Urban Equities, can you do more of that up here? Go up and measure it. Tell us how much it's going to cost. And then you can have at it. Wow. I did show them a simple mock-up. And they're like, yeah, good. Let's so, do it. So for lack of a better term, is one side sort of a continuous comic strip and then the other one continues the story? No, there's not much of a storyboard. <laughs> no. There's a few random <laughs> aesthetically pleasing images okay. <laughs> that uh, work well together. Yeah, Brett, Brett is very honest about his work. No, there's no storyline. <laughs> it's very shallow. Yep. <laughs> oh, there is one message. Okay. Uh, uh, in one of the chat bubbles, I waited till the very last thing. The very last thing I touched on that was, you know, what's it going to say in this bubble? And it's... A woman on the phone looking a little concerned, and she says, meet me at the rooftop. Oh, nice. And stay away from the railings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't jump. Wow. And then someone in in the building (laughs) that was walking through, she stopped and said, oh, I say that to my friend that lives in the building all the time. Meet me at the rooftop. Very cool. Very nice. I'm looking forward to seeing it. There's a couple of people I know that live in that area, but we always meet at... uh, at uh, common places. I've never been up in the hallway, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. So, mm-hmm. hey, tell me about the community of Muralis and the mentoring and the helping along and the teamwork and, and type, you know, things that you have there. Because when I saw you uh, for the very first time, you had a scissor lift and obviously you needed one. And you were joking that you were going to call the guy that was maybe four blocks down the line, mm-hmm. and he would get up on his scissor lift at the same time, and you'd take pictures of each other. Did that happen? Yes, we did. We did a, a visual high five. Oh, nice. On our boom lifts. We had um, jibs. We had boom lifts. Nice. Scissor lifts I'm not a big fan of. Those okay. scary. Okay. Um, but yeah, we had boom lifts that would go 50 feet in the air, so we just... Uh, coordinated on our phones and yep, going up. And then we took pictures of each other way down the street. Nice. Yeah. And who was that guy? That was Dustin Eckhart. Oh, he did a good job in the parking lot of Park Lanes. And yep. it was sort of on the side of, I think, Rocky's Tap. And maybe there's yep. a salon there. And it's a pretty good size wall. Yeah. And he did a very um, sunflower face with other, you know, hummingbirds and things. That has a very bold and very colorful and we actually did one of our Life's 3x5s podcast in front of there one time and talked about all the things that were happening in the Rockford area. Applause to him, and good for you guys for teaming up the way that you do. Uh, do you have any idea what he's working on now? I'm not sure what his next one is, but he just finished a Whopper over in Port Washington, which I believe is in Wisconsin. What, did, <laughs> what kind of stuff did he do? Uh, well, much like the one in Love's Park, he does a lot of natural things. He really is has a green thumb or likes to be in nature, likes to do nature walks and photograph things. He likes to feature birds and also people kind of immersed in flowers and plants. Nice. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So he did a, a really big, a whole side of a 
two-story building. Looks like probably Seriously? an 80 foot wide by 20 feet tall or something like that. Wow. And you know, I don't know if you guys know about this, but I want you to know about this because I had such an incredibly good time in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I connected with an old radio buddy. Her name is Kim Carson. And we did a Storyteller's Studio uh, uh, episode with her. Well, then, of course, I'm going on TripAdvisor saying, well, what else is there to do? I'm here a couple of days. I've spent some time with family. What else is there to do in Grand Rapids? I just happened to be able to get the time where they had the Art Picks Festival. Are you familiar with that? Art Picks? Art Picks. No. They have, I think, about 70 different pieces of art. Now, that can take on sculpture. That can take on painting. Are you talking about Art Prize? Art Prize. What did I say? Art Picks? Art Picks, yeah. Yes. Art Prize. I'm sorry. Art Prize is a big international festival contest, actually. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And, of course, that will draw you into a coffee shop or a gelato shop and so on and so forth. So we get all that sponsorship thing and everything. But they had gigantic three- and four-story murals that they were doing. And the people were just so cool to be able to watch and talk to. And they brought in, I want to say, eight Hondas that the dealership said to the artist, do you want this to be wrapped in white, gray, or black? And during this four-day festival, they went 90 miles a minute, and then they'll take them back to the dealership, hence traffic to the dealership, and then they will eventually sell the cars, whether it be auction or whatever, to benefit our prize. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God, the stuff that they did on those cars. Drastically different. They were just so cool to watch what they were doing. They had things where maybe you would have some kind of a table and and some kind of a board of some sort that tied in with the bank's campaign, Mm -hmm. and they would allow kids to do finger painting on the board and then clean up and then go on your way. Yeah. And it was just a fantastic deal. So if you ever have that opportunity have you have you been there to see it art prize yeah i was a part of a team in 2011 that won second place in art prize oh good for you was it a mural it's a very large mural there yeah wow a bricolage mural something i used to dabble with in chicago what does that mean bricolage is the use of tile glass mirror cement grout Whoa. And then even one member of the team who was experienced in, uh, oh, I forget the term for it. It's a French term, but uh, bas relief, like Hmm. building out from the wall. There's a giant, probably 20-foot tall face on the wall, and we covered it in little one-inch by (laughs) one-inch pieces of mirror. The whole face is a mirror face. And I did uh, the right nostril and a lot of the upper lip. But, uh, yeah, I worked on that. In 2011, with a group of maybe 30, well, there was a bunch of student artists, a lot of youth, but there was four lead artists, which I was friends with one of the lead artists, and she brought me in to be a guest artist on this, and my wow. name's on the plaque that is on there, and they, they won $100,000. They did, for second place? Yeah, first place is 250000 I believe. Come on. But we took second place that year. Wow. And if you're supposed to finish it in four days, you're going to need 30 people to do that kind of Well, that of wasn't a four-day thing, but uh, I think it was more like two weeks. Oh. Yeah, that was a whopper. Oh, I thought maybe maybe there was a limitation uh, with oh. the car thing. 
Maybe they yeah. had to be done by the four days. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, with me and my camera and my long lens and 72-degree weather and nowhere to go and all day to get there and food trucks and coffee shops, I was in heaven. That's so cool. I, I was having a very, very good time with myself. Yeah, the whole town is ablaze with artists, you know, before Art Price. Yeah. And then yeah. people come from all over the place and they can vote on art pieces with their phone or uh-huh. scan something uh-huh. next uh-huh. to it. Yeah, it's a good system and it's been, I don't know how long that um, festival's been going on for, but quite some time. Wow. Good. Yep. I'm glad you know about it. Wow. Yep. Have you ever seen David Attenborough's documentary called Life in Color? Have you seen that? I don't believe so. And it may be relatively new. Yeah. Um, you know, he does a lot of the nature things and, you know, planet this and, you know, nature this and whatever. There's different series. And I got a feeling it's it's uh, generated by the BBC would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting back to the color thing, the colorblind thing, they were always amazed at why God made tigers bright orange and black when they need to get antelope and the secret to this is getting close well if you're screaming orange how do you get close Hmm. well now they have cameras that will allow them to set the camera as the antelope sees color so that orange for an antelope or these kissing cousins for antelopes that orange turns into a shade of green well guess what that's really <laughs> handy for hiding in the weeds until you get closer. Antelope are colorblind. <laughs> yes. Well, to a certain degree, they yeah. are. And they had all kinds of instances like this that wasn't as drastic as the orange tiger. But then, you know, they're saying, you know, lots of times color is a warning. Like if you have a red frog, stay away from me, I'm poisonous, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Sure. So there's a lot of different reasons for either the, the color or the lack of color in, in the, the world, but um, boy, I'll tell you, if some of your artist friends, or, or maybe even you, would see that documentary, that may put a twist on what they do for their future mural, murals. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, just a different shade of some sort. You know, all of a sudden, you're, you're doing this tiger, and you don't see it, mm-hmm. you know, as a tiger, until you really look at it, and then that's because you stole the idea from the documentary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never know. <laughs> I think I saw a warning uh, from an animal once. Did you? I saw a baboon's butt turn, <laughs> change colors, and look out. Okay, that I was never, a warning. Yeah, I never out. thought we'd talk about baboons' butts today. <laughs> but uh, hey, I'm open. I'm okay. How were? Are you talking about in a zoo or in the wild? In a zoo. Oh, but you did not make a friend that day. Well, I, he was up to something. You know, he <laughs> turned around, and I saw the color of his butt change. And then he turned around and he was kind of pulling on his penis a little bit. <laughs> so if you see the baboon's butt color change, just just turn and walk away. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know how we can go on. Now I know it's a warning. Yeah, we don't know what else to talk about now. Oh my god, that's hilarious! If only that worked in the human life, you know what I'm saying? I would want those kind of warnings of some sort. Exactly. <laughs> oh god. Hey, I got to tell you, too, when we were talking about my son with uh, doing the story on you, when he moved to Golan, Colorado, he had to really downscale the stuff that he was taking with him. Yeah. And you had given him a painting. Do you remember the one that you gave him? 
I do not. No? About 1117, and it was a plant growing out of the head of Jeff Goldblum. Oh, so a, a print. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he loves that thing. And I said, you know, so, so we're going through everything, packing up everything. And I go, leave it or take it to everything that we were talking about. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm taking that. <laughs> he goes, if you don't think this is going to be a conversation piece in Colorado, you're kidding yourself. Yeah. Which, of course, it has been. And, you know, he takes it into the TV <laughs> station for exactly that reason as a conversation piece. And he props it up at his desk. So nice. know where some of your stuff ends up. That's yeah. awesome. And in no way was I trying to say that Jeff Goldblum's a pothead or anything. I just thought I didn't want to paint just a regular plant pot, but I do really like Jeff Goldblum. So yeah. I, I thought maybe I'll use uh, someone who I like, their head, as as the pot on this. And I think I did a, a James Spader one as well. Oh, you did? Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Well, and sometimes that's just in you, and it needs to get out somehow. Sure. I don't question these dumb ideas. No, no, no. you don't. No. And if somebody yeah. else can enjoy it, hey, added bonus. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I have done painting. This is not something I would ever want to show anybody. I'm not necessarily proud of it. But I used to do like uh, two feet by four feet canvases, and I... I learned this from On the Waterfront. Do you remember On the Waterfront Festival? Yeah, I, I played with my band there several times. And we'll get into that in yeah. a little bit, because I'd forgot about the drummer side of you. Yeah. There was a father and son that were using um, pie pans, and they were going 90 miles a minute. And they were selling these things for like 20 bucks a piece once they were done. It was all spray paint, and they would put these pans down, and then they put a bigger one on top of it and spray and put a bigger one on top of it and spray. And then when they were done, they'd spray a little white on their fingers and then flick it so it's got stars, you know, that type of thing. They would remove all the pie tins. And mm-hmm. it's like, holy crap, because you didn't realize what they were building and how many layers they were doing. An outer space piece? Uh, it was more like a, uh, a, a boat with a sail going into a sunset or a, or a moon a moon horizon. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to take pictures because we still have them. In fact, Eric took one to Colorado. So I'll have to send those to you. So having seen that, I ended up collecting lids for probably the better part of two years. Now, these could be lids that would come off of a soft drink. It could be a lid that would come off of a peanut butter jar or drug prescription. It could be a variety of lids, both thickness and diameters. Then I ended up going to the store and getting all these shades of spray paint. Going out in the yard, and of course, my God, you ought to see the neighbors look at me. It's like, what the hell is he doing now? (laughs) It was really, really fun to do, and I have it hanging in my basement. What I've done since is just 12 by 12 canvases, and I don't necessarily like the end product, but I love the process. Mm-hmm. I love the relaxation of doing it mm-hmm. and trying to use a different tool, quote unquote, not just a brush every time and just basically farting around. Yeah. Do you do that in between the times that you're paid to do jobs just because you like the process? I don't have as much time now, but... If I do something like that, like I did this last year with a bunch of neon colors, um, I do it with my kids or for some function that they have. They did a glow dance at their school. Oh, my. And so 
I want to be the family, you know, with all the, like the coolest, you know, the kids wearing the coolest stuff. I went to the thrift store and just bought a white outfit for myself and then took all of my fluorescent paints, which I have seven colors now. Some uh, stencils that I had that I had pre-cut that were pre-existing and even cut some new ones and then went to town on my outfit. I had a hat and a, wow. a shirt and pants and shoes with designs on them. And then my kids both, I just... I said, give me a white shirt, and uh, I did cool things on their clothes, too. And so we went to a glow dance at their Montessori school here in Rockford. What a great and idea. And we were on fire. Oh, what a great so that's idea. that's a lot of fun, and that just happened within an hour in the garage. And how old are your kids? Six and ten. Oh, so young kids are doing this. Yeah. Wow. They told me what they kind of wanted. They kind of watched Dad do it. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. I wish people would be more creative in what they're doing because it, it, would, it would keep the kids from being wallflowers, wouldn't they? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a neat one. All right, so let's get back to the drummer thing Yeah. because that's a whole different life for you. And sometimes um, you, I'll run into you and you say, yeah, I just got back from playing with a blah, 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 blah band. And I'm going, how do, how do you do this in between your mural work? And yeah. that's what I want to ask you. How do you fit it all in? I, I don't have a ton of time for it these days. Um, I do play in a steady band here in Rockford called Prairie Smoke, you know, a powerful three-piece and we try to play once a month at mm. least. Mm-hmm. Um, our singer and his wife had a baby in May, so a bit of slow summer. We have a few shows coming up soon. And um, being a drummer, that's been most of my life, and I did it professionally. Just now that I've taken on so much mural work, it's not really the main thing anymore. Wow. Um, but I don't ever want to not play. You know, yeah. I don't want. I, I'm not gonna let it go completely. Are you regional, or do you go? You know, four yeah. four states away, or no? Right now, just just local. Okay. Uh, we branched way out to Freeport recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Played in someone's garage, but you know, it was <laughs> high profile event. There was corn on the cob, and we were playing. Yeah, it was great. Well, that's all you need is <laughs> corn on the cob to make it a high profile event. Yeah. <laughs> yep. A few folks. We're we're playing for fun, pretty much, you know. Uh, we plan to record, and I think it's some good stuff. It's really it's original. How long you been together? Very unique. Well, since late 2020, I think when I moved to town, you know, I need someone to play with. I don't want to not play, right? Yeah. So I asked around to a few people who I respect as musicians. I say, you know, like a songwriter who's looking for a drummer to work some stuff with, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got um, introduced to uh, this guy, Donovan, who had a band called Prairie Smoke already. They kind of fizzled out over COVID, but he was itching to play again. So we just started writing, uh, playing some of his already written material and then writing some new things together in his basement in late 2020. So you're a writer too? Oh, yeah. I mean... Holy cow. I like to find someone who has some original thoughts, like a guitar player, singer. Have him throw anything at me, and I... I'll take it and give it a direction of my own very quickly. Yeah. So I'm a writer in that sense. Yeah, gotcha. And it may be yeah. something he would not even ever thought of. Sure. Just, just for that extra set of ears. Yeah, like I'm feeling, I'm hearing something that he's not feeling and, and then he likes it or, or doesn't like it. Right. But um, what we've come up with are some really good, unique tunes wow. that other people seem to like now. Good for you. Yeah. It, what genre is it? Psychedelic rock. Psychedelic rock. Yeah. Wow. That's a um, 
drenched in um, some well-controlled effects on Donovan's behalf and uh, long-form songs, you know, longer tunes that mm-hmm. really go somewhere. Guitar licks and drum yep. licks, yeah. Kind of uh, dreamy, too. You know, he sings through a slapback delay as well as reverb, you know, so oh. it's kind of spacey vocals and Interesting. a very quick-moving rhythm section, too. You know, after he and I established something, we were looking for a bass player to be there full-time and this was an opportunity for me to play with someone I've always wanted to play with from Rockford, uh, Carl Rapp, who's played in a lot of a lot of bands, and he's just great guy and amazing bass player. Okay. And so we had this great three piece. You know, he and I gel really well. Wow. And we uh, together decipher what Donovan's coming up with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of writers are a bit savant too. They don't remember what they wrote, so we like. Help him remember. And oh, I see that too. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think the gears turn so quickly that that's why they just can't keep track of it. And, you know, yeah. you and going you, on a feeling too that you might not feel next time around. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Yep. Are you a doodler? And, and I, I say that only because of the music thing. Yeah. Because if you don't write it down and keep it in some form, mm-hmm. uh, it's gone. Do you do that artwork-wise or no? It's usually a, uh, a voice recording okay. of me telling myself what the idea is. Oh, my. Helping me visualize it when I go back and read it. Huh. I'll just be driving or something, and I pull out the recorder on my phone and just rattle it off into yeah. the phone. Yeah. Sometimes the speech-to-text comes out weird, too, and then that turns <laughs> it into something else in the future or... Or I'm like, what was I trying to say there? Yeah, that's but, the voice version of Chicken Scratch, basically. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Can't really read that, or what the heck does that mean? But that can bring about something totally different and cool. Yeah. I've been in multiple bands that were named by someone saying something and the other person not hearing it right. But oh. that what was heard is actually a cool name for the band. For, for example... Uh, <laughs> A good friend of mine in Chicago, Tony Sackett, uh, great songwriter, one of my favorites, writes amazing pop songs, mm-hmm. a band called The Warm Ones, and I was in that band before joining a big touring band and had to leave. Anyways, we started a side project, a two-man side project, lead singer who played bass and then a drummer. He came up with the idea for the band Sober Plaintiff. <laughs> And he said that oh to God. he said that to a drummer across the room who's kind of losing his hearing. And I said, "Silver plankton, silver plankton." I get it. That's hilarious. That's the name of the group. It is. It's very different from silver plankton. It is. It is. God, that's hilarious. Silver plankton is the band. And when people go, "Where where did this come from?" You go, "Yeah, well, you know, yeah, it was just sort of floating around there." There's also a local band that just did you know they they got signed to a major label called the hevels did you catch wind of them no i was in that group in 2000 2001 before i left and went to chicago okay after i left they kept going and they got on a major label and were opening for slayer and cool bands like that whoa um local guys and when we were naming that band uh brian carter drew something and showed it to me, and what he wrote was the heavies. And Which I is said, not bad. I said, the hevels. That's cool. 
He goes, what's the Hevels? Because I read it wrong. Yeah, but what does it mean? Well, that's like a heavy devil or something. Oh, okay. But that's, that's just what my mind deciphered, and then that became the band name. And let me ask you about your, your future projects. Yeah. One, are you doing something now that we could go see? Now meaning the Tuesday after Labor Day weekend 2023 to give people a reference mm-hmm. point. But you are doing something local that we could go see? I am. What are you doing? I'm doing a very fun golf-themed mural. There's a new X-Golf company going in over by Cherryville Mall in the old Art Van Furniture building. These are simulators? Yeah. Okay. There'll be a giant, awesome circle bar in the middle under the glass uh, atrium. Oh. A really awesome uh, thing in the building. Wow. And then simulators on both sides, I believe up to 16 simulators and party rooms and stuff. A big joint, and they finally got the permits to move forward. Wow. And I designed this mural for them over a year ago, I think. Oh. We're just kind of holding pattern. But I get to paint it now, and I'm really excited about it. I designed it. Uh, I stuck to my guns and, like, was really, <laughs> like, I want it to be this, you know. And they, you know, they let me have my way. And it's a really fun <laughs> mural. It's loosely based on uh, an aspect from Caddyshack. Oh, the movie from the 70s, so right? This is great. Yeah, I could just imagine. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Al Shervik's golf bag. Oh, nice. Who was a, uh, you know, played a role in the movie. He has a stereo built in to the golf bag. Yes, I remember. He also has a beer tapper in it. Yes, yes. And just bells and whistles. And in the foreground of this mural, it's Al Shervik's bag. It's a red bag with, there's a radio, a stereo face right on it. And that can say whatever. I haven't decided yet what it's going to say on the digital readout. But there's a Rockford X Golf Rockford beer tap that's coming up out of the golf bag. Nice. There's a driver with a with a uh, boxing glove on it, which I believe is in the movie too. Okay. He has boxing gloves on his huh. on his golf heads. There's a big pink flamingo coming out of the bag for some reason. It's just <laughs> he's kind of trying to fit in, you know. And then a bunch of other golf clubs. And then in the back is um, green scenery that looks like a golf course. But it's also Rockford-centric. So for some reason, the Jefferson Street Bridge is going through the golf course. And also the symbol is over there. Nice. You know? Well, it's something to aim for. Yeah. Yeah. Hole hole 16. (laughs) So the background is a rectangular scene, you know, and it's supposed to look like a simulator screen. Oh, And then there's some other cool design up around the simulator. And it's a 20 by 30 foot mural that I get to do this week. Wow. I'm going to prime it right after I leave here today. When you say this is something we can see, yeah. it sounds like it's indoor. No, it's outdoors. It's outdoor. Yeah, the mural's on the outdoor uh, oh. facing the, the busy intersection of Perryville and Newburgh. That's going to be cool. So it'll be there. It's going to be there very soon, and people are going to say, what the heck is this? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And that's exactly what they want them to say. Yeah, they, they want yeah. that, but we're also going to need to put the X-Golf sign pretty big next to it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't have to. You don't want to confuse people. No, no, no. But there's uh, plans to do that, too. Where we are setting right now, the local corporate office for Beefaroo is about three storefronts away. Yeah. And you have had an incredible past with Beefaroo, and now since Gene and Dave and the kids have relinquished it to a company in Texas, mm-hmm. um, things are going to sort of blow up pretty quickly for them and you. Tell me about how they've incorporated you in the franchisees and the nationwide spread of Beefaroo restaurant. I think 
Springfield, yep. Missouri was the first one you told me about, wasn't it? Yep. I met with them last summer and met the new CEO mm-hmm. who was going to be in Rockford. And they had discussed uh, me with him already. And he said, um, I guess he wanted me to continue with their expansion and bringing the images and the murals to their properties that the, that they've bought Um just bring that feel across the land. And so I did one last fall in Springfield, Missouri, a a, a whopper, like the whole retaining wall around the property. Oh. And then some. Oh, geez. Yep. So this is existing. This is not something that was a new construction. Yeah, they had bought it from another restaurant. Yeah, and you had to step in and adapt it to whatever was going on in your head. Yeah, since they're new in that region. So they really have to make a, a big statement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they do. And I'm painting the retaining wall, and there's pictures of roast beef on there and stuff. And yeah. people are asking me. Yeah, People will still ask you those questions like, is this a taco place? <laughs> and why is there I'm a... standing next to a, big, a guy holding roast beef. Right here. Like, and why is there a well. cowboy? I don't get that cowboy thing. And why are you people putting cheese on fries? Yeah. What is the problem here? Why are there cheese fries in the <laughs> desert here? Um <laughs> I think they got it though, and you know they're directly across the street from an Arby's too. So interesting. Yeah, I had heard a rumor. Now this is early on, and I, there may be a combination of both. I don't know. I didn't try to either squelch the rumor or advance the rumor with Nick at all. You know, before he left, but I had heard that they were going to take those uh, containers. You know, those shipping containers. Yes. And if you were a franchisee. All you had to do was get the property and they would deliver these containers with all the equipment, all everything you need, and they would pounce it right on top of the property. There would be no inside dining and you would be responsible for building a terrace or a Mm -hmm. patio or something like that if there was going to be any kind of dining options or table options. Otherwise, it's a drive-thru and off you go. Now... That's obviously not what they did in Springfield, Missouri. That's obviously. not what they did there. But I don't know if that's plans for possibilities or not. It's sort of unique. I've heard about a couple of those that are happening close by in Wisconsin. Okay. okay. And I asked about, are you going to need murals on those? And they said, well, those are um, franchises that are being bought, and we, we're not in that much in control of those. But the ones where they're buying properties, like from here to Texas— Oh, those ones are the ones that they're looking to retrofit with their look. Interesting. Well, yeah. they could still pass your name onto those yeah. other container people. Yeah, I think they did say that. Um, yeah. Wow, that's got to be exciting. That'd be cool. Yeah, um, and CEO has changed again. It's someone from Rockford. Oh, uh, yeah, Matt Riddle, who's been with the company for a long time. Oh, good. Is okay, now, is now the CEO. Yeah, because sometimes you know when you bring in a new CEO, they've got a whole different mindset of what's sure. the future. And that could maybe not include you. You know how that goes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. At this point, if I lose Matt, then I probably lose Beefaroo. But there's a very deep culture. I mean, they were, they've been around, what, 45, 50 years, something like that? Yeah. I can remember when I was calling on Dave and Gene, they had an office in a old, and I mean old, two-story home at the corner of Horseman and Auburn. Can you envision that? It's right behind the warehouse-themed beefaroo that's near Auburn and Rockton. Okay. That was their corporate office. Wow. There was not enough room in the house in their office 
for us to have a meeting table. And back then, I was wearing neckties and carrying briefcases. <laughs> and I had to put my briefcase on my lap. Yeah. And that's how we worked. And then on we went. Oh, my God. That was probably 19... 19- 87 would be my guess. Mm -hmm. It's been that long ago. And my God, how things have changed. Yep. Crazy. I mean, to a certain degree, you don't need to even meet with them anymore. You know how that goes. Yeah. You know, you email them and you send them and you Zoom call it or whatever. And sure. I don't particularly care the way that that has all gone. I like sitting across the table from people, but, you know, eh, so much. You know, you get COVID, you get technology, you get the combination of, and it hasn't hampered your business either as a drummer. Well, you're talking about COVID? Uh, well, or, or technology. Technology. Getting in the way type of thing of, yeah. of what you're doing, has it? N- no, it hasn't. Um, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, being a mirrorless is kind of new to me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, only like six years in. Mm-hmm. I think it's only helped social media and other technologies. You know, I finally design on computer. I used to design on my mock-up Ooh. was a painting. Oh man! In the beginning, doing murals, and I'm thinking now, wow, how did I do that? <laughs> because, because <laughs> you know, yes. designer and client, yeah, there's often oh a lot of yeah tedious change this, changes. change that. Yeah. And we used I used to, to do the painting, and then if they want to change this, I'm like, yep, noted. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to see it, but yep, noted. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just too many different variations and too much work involved. I'm not going to paint it again. No, we were uh, <laughs> we were doing artwork in a dark room early on at Skyward Promotions. And if there was a slight change, like I want the font to be smaller or bigger with respect to the logo. Mm-hmm. We would have to set the font again, set the type on the drafting board, and then go back into the dart room and, and hit another one before we'd send it off to the factory. Yep. And I go, how did we make any money? It was just, it was too time consuming, but yet that's all anybody knew. Well, now you can do that in two seconds and you email it to the factory and boom, boom, you're done. Yeah. I don't know how we did it. I really don't. <laughs> right. Wow. And with editing, with, uh, with cutting tape. Like physically oh, cutting yeah. tape, same of thing. Video or audio. audio. They used to actually have to cut and splice. Yes. Now and it's a, now it's you delete that section. Yep. And slide it over and hit delete. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which I do. I love to edit. I mm-hmm. I love using that software. And honestly, we would have put together some pretty cool stuff back in the '70s when it was you know flame throwing top forty radio, if we had that technology. And I'm actually sort of surprised with a china marker and a splicer block that we were able to do what we did. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you walk out and the floor is just full, filled full of scraps because that's just the way you worked it. The cutting room floor. Yeah. You know, something else I thought to ask you too, and then we'll finish up here. When we're talking about technology and how it influences what you do, what's your opinion on the artificial intelligence conversation that's going on now? I'm staying ignorant to it. <laughs> it's a safe zone. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I, I I've seen some internet posts where maybe artists, since it's my subject, are are uh, expressing some concern with it, and you, you don't want people to, instead of creating something on paper first or whatever, or doing a painting to put a subject matter into a engine, uh-huh. AI engine and create art that way, mm-hmm. which I'm sure it's being done to an extent. If you have actual talent, I don't think you're going to 
want to do that because artists are pretty stubborn too. Mm-hmm. Like, why would I want to, I don't know, dial something up with the use of AI? Yeah. And I think if you use it as a tool, I think a lot of people are jumping the shark way, way ahead saying, oh, mm-hmm. this is going to replace me as an artist, uh-huh. whether it be a music artist or a sculpture or whatever. I mean, they thought about that about 3D printing too. You know, all of a sudden there's going to be no maquettes for animation for Disney. Yeah. And, and my sculpting is down the crapper. Mm-hmm. And, and that clearly hasn't happened to the degree that they thought. Right. But if you use it as a tool, I, I think it could help. Especially if somebody wants those four stages if of mock If you mock-ups. don't have ideas. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you're struggling with coming up with an idea, sure. But I've never had that issue. Oh, good for you. And nothing but notes. And I got a silly mind you know, that just comes up with things. And I like that. It's and, fun. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. I think that would take the fun out of it if I was relying on an engine to, to do that. And especially if what came out of it really wasn't me. I think I would think that people are going to notice that. Yeah. The people who know my work. And uh, there's been some people whipping up images online, uh, AI generated images. And I think so far it's not dialed in. It looks like creepy or gross. Mm-hmm. The way it's smooth and they're taking snippets from different images all over the place. And it's really kind of. Not aesthetically pleasing to me. Yeah. Or uh, someone will say, uh, I, I wrote a new song and I made a music video completely with AI, <laughs> and it's gross. <laughs> it's art goulash. It yeah. just is not, it's not pleasing. It's not if, intentional. If this is what it is, I'm just going to like slowly <laughs> turn my head. Uh, there's people uh, with talent out there, like use it. Come yes, humans, yes. Humans are good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, Brett Whitaker, thank you so much for coming in. This has been a um, an enlightening array of different stories that I never knew about you. And m- much luck. We will look very forward to the, the golf mural and the stuff that you're doing at the Nationwide Beefaroos. And I, I really appreciate you coming in. This has been fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for joining us in the Storyteller Studio with Tim Larson and Liz Wilder, where everything begins with the story.